Good afternoon, a little bit after 1 o'clock, KPFK, on your radio at 90.7 FM. Out of Santa Barbara County, we're heard at 98.7 FM, and of course streaming for the world at kpfk.org on the internets, as our president likes to call them, the internets. They're tubes, they're not trucks. Hey, nice to be with you today. Happy Friday. Special hello to all my friends stuck on the five. Hello. <laughs> we survived it. Oh, gosh. Life in the big city. Good show for you today. I think you're going to really enjoy this. First of all, if you're new to InterVision, this is a program heard in different forms and formats every day of the week, Monday through Friday anyway from 1 o'clock until 2 in the afternoon. It's InterVision on Monday, Tuesday, and Friday, Wednesday and Thursday. Your host, Lisa Gar, calls it the Aware Show. But it's always a program about spirituality, often a program about health, but by that we mean not only your physical health, but uh, moral and ethical health. How about that? Or your mental, emotional, and spiritual health. We like on uh, Friday to call it a program about metaphysics as well as spirituality and mysticism and the great philosophies, comparative religion and comparative philosophy. And uh, that's what we do. Often we have guests, as is the case today, and sometimes we just open up the telephones. I'm going to introduce my guests to you in just a moment, and we're going to talk about an event that's... uh, scheduled for tomorrow here in Southern California that I think you're going to want to know about. And uh, let me just mention that uh, I just found out yesterday, and I'm sort of excited about this, uh, I'm going to be a guest on a radio program out of Chicago. And until recently, what difference would that have made in Southern California? You can't get Chicago radio, but now you can with the Internet. So if you'd like to listen in, I'm doing a program, I'll be the guest on this program, and I'm going to talk about one of my favorite topics, which is the nature of inspiration, revelation, and realization. I'm going to talk about uh, wisdom on demand, the idea that there is a reservoir or a pool of knowledge, uh, very personal and very wise, that stands above everybody, and 
we often get these spontaneous glimpses into wisdom. You know, the light will go on. Sometimes it'll be like lightning and thunder and just rip the top of your head off with insight and understanding. Sometimes it's much more gentle, like the dawning of a new idea. But the idea of being filled with light, of being enlightened, of aha, the old eureka illumination, as the Greeks referred to it, that's going to be our topic. So if you're around the radio tomorrow and can break away from KPFK for just an hour or two and then come right back to KPFK. you got a promise. You can hear me on WVON out of Chicago. Again, it's 1690 AM, but you're not going to receive it on your radio, so you're going to have to listen to the stream, WVON, like Vaughn's Supermarket, okay? WVON.com. That's all you have to do is point your browser to WVON.com, 5 o'clock, a little after 5, after the 5 o'clock news, L.A. time. It'll be 7 o'clock in Chicago, but tomorrow at 5 if you want to check it out. And uh, so let's get down to our business today. We're going to talk about a uh, uh, a meeting tomorrow that is part of an effort to create a world parliament of religions. and. This has existed in the past. In fact, we were just talking in the green room outside about more than a 100 years ago, there was a parliament of religions that met here again in the city of Chicago, in the Windy City. 1893, was it? That's correct. And uh, for many Westerners, Vivekananda was there, and for many Westerners, that was uh, their first insight uh, of any significance into Eastern philosophies and religions. So what do you think about that? In this day and age, uh, so many people turn to religion and spirituality and say we've got to work through the great spiritual traditions of earth to stop this madness and this violence. I think there are many others who say, wait a minute, religion is the cause of a lot of this violence, especially the more fundamentalist uh, traditions. So... We're going to find out what you think, and we're fortunate to have with us in studio today, and we will take your calls later in the program, three spokespeople from this organization. First of all, Jeffrey Utter. Is it Utter or Uter, sir? Utter. Utter. Jeffrey Utter, who's with the United Church of Christ in Long Beach. And Jeffrey, uh, good afternoon. Welcome to KPFK. Thank you, Michael. Glad to be here. Nice to have you here. I appreciate this. Also, Wailea Perkins, who uh, is a Sufi, and you'll have to tell me the order or the tradition. And the Sufi Order International. We're in the Chistia line of Sufis. And it's nice to see you again. Nice and to be here. Thanks for helping us set this up. I'm happy and delighted to. Wailea has... Uh, shepherded guests to me in the past, always with great results. And also with us, uh, a philosopher. We can't do a show on religion without bringing in the philosopher here to plug up uh, the gaps in the middle, right, Joseph? Joseph Prabhu? Is Pro- that Prabhu. 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 Yeah. Joseph, uh, you have a Ph.D. in philosophy. That's correct, yeah. You know, I've actually, I'm going to start with you, because I've actually, uh, this is sort of my take on this. As a mystic, I love all traditions. I really do. I find great truth and all the religious traditions. I also find areas in all religious traditions that don't really float my boat, so to speak. And uh, to find out that there there are philosophical alternatives that uh, 
religion doesn't get to corner the market on spirituality, does it? No, no. I mean, uh, am I being fair to say it that way? No, I think so. In fact, uh, we hear today uh, very often the sentiment that uh, one is spiritual but not religious, and you know that refers to at least two things, as I understand it. One is that many people are impatient with the institutionalization of religion and, in a sense, want a practice that is more immediate and more connected with things around them. And the other is something, Michael, that you mentioned earlier, namely the show itself, connected with questions of health, seen more broad, health and well-being. And uh, there are people then who see spirituality as concerned with that sort of broader aspect of, of well-being and for whom philosophies uh, may well provide the, you know, the, the pathway to those aspects of well-being. In fact, philosophy, as you well know from its origin, was you know, the love of wisdom. And in that sense, uh, that's what the word means in Greek, and in that sense, a very practical uh, approach to life. I mean, even the great philosophers, Plato and Aristotle, had their academies where, in fact, they were taught gymnastics, they were taught medicine, they were taught communication, and so on. That all came under the sort of broad umbrella of, of philosophy. So, in that sense, your statement, I think, is, uh, I mean, clearly I have a philosophical bias, but if one interprets philosophy in that broad sense as it was seen in the past, not only in um, in the West, uh, but particularly in the East. In the East, uh, philosophy is much more a path of realization, a path of um, fulfillment, than it is just a cerebral exercise. I think, uh, well, speaking for myself, my exposure initially to philosophy as an academic topic in high school and again in college was so limited, frankly, and um, uh, disjointed that I got a sense that philosophy was sort of believe whatever you want to believe and that there really was no consensus or as... uh, Aldous Huxley called it a perennial right. philosophy. Right. Do you see personally a consensus, or do academicians who call themselves philosophers see any, um, if not unity, harmony or um, connection, a nexus through the great religious traditions? Not really. I mean, uh, and uh, I happen to be in a minority here because uh, I think most of my academic colleagues would see philosophy as a purely secular exercise, and in fact, to be regarded as as religious in some philosophical circles is always sort of sneered at as being somehow, you know, in the grip of superstition or in the grip of dogma or whatever. And uh, so uh, I think that's in general true of the, of the West. It's probably different in the East, where, as I say, some of the older traditions still uh, have some impact, but... Um, there are many reasons for that. I mean, you know, the split between philosophy and theology, which uh, in the medieval period was, in fact, very closely united. Uh, Thomas Aquinas, uh, Anselm, the great medieval philosophers in the West, were, were equally sort of philosophers and th- theologians. And the idea of faith seeking understanding was, in fact, a, a very crucial enterprise, not just for philosophers and theologians, but for people in general. But 
starting somewhere, we, you know, we can argue about that. I mean, from the time of, of Descartes, when philosophy got professionalized and then in the 18th century and entered into the academy, uh, philosophy acquired a different character. And then with the rise of the sciences and especially the natural sciences, philosophy began to assume, if you want, a more sort of scientific rather than a more humanistic character. There have been attempts to, what's the word, scholasticize philosophy, so it could yeah. be yeah. As, as, as reliable as math or science. And, right. But I mean, we need the flexibility, don't we? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Ab- absolutely. As I say, I, I think it's been a, I mean, the, there's certainly been great advances as a result of that, uh, the impact of natural science on philosophy. But on the whole, it's also diminished philosophy, because the religious and the humanistic aspects of it tend to not get emphasized these days, and I think that's a loss. Let me turn to Jeffrey. Uh, you're a minister in the uh, United Church for Christ. You have a parish in Long Beach. Uh, is that the right word, or is that a Catholic word, parish? Let me see my, my own background here. It's kind of a Catholic word, but uh, we won't reject it for, oh, good. for us. <laughs> good. Uh, we live in a largely Christian or Judeo-Christian society. So Christians, in a sense, have a leg up in the United States of America. And yet, since the Reformation, the Protestants have have split. And there are so many Protestant or Protestant traditions, it's hard for us to sort of keep track. I, I think religion is still, for many, a sort of an accident of birth, of where you're born, if there's a neighborhood church down the street, where mom and dad went or where grandma and grandpa went. Uh, sort it out for us. Can we can we all be Christians or Catholics Christians? And why all the divisions among the Protestants? I thought they all wanted to get back to the study of the Gospels. It's a very <clears throat> complicated question, as, as you know, Michael. I think the uh, all of the splitting that happened was actually the uh, presupposition for the development of this spiritual but not religious mentality that that Joseph mentioned. In American culture from the beginning, there's been a, a tremendous emphasis on personal experience, and that came to really imprint the forms of religious life in the United States. And, of course, when you emphasize personal experience... Everybody's in experience is, is different, and that means that uh, there's going to be a need for many different communal and institutional religious containers to satisfy these people who are having all these different experiences. And now it's, it's really reached an extreme in contemporary America where, uh, you know, there are a lot of people who, who think that the only way they can be authentically religious or spiritual is a part from some kind of institutional container. But you, you, you asked, how do you keep track? Well, you don't, you don't have to keep track. I mean, you know, we each, we well, each have to find, find our way. own path. There you go. Find our way would be another way of saying that. And uh, so you think it's a good idea for us to sort through the different uh, variations and versions of, of what's called Christianity? I think it's very a very good idea for people to seek and to explore. But I also think, and I speak here as a representative of the institution, I think it's very important for parents 
to form their children in one uh, tradition, in one path. Uh, I don't agree with those parents who say, we're going to give you a little taste of a bunch of them, and then you can decide when you grow up. I don't think it works that way. Smorgasbording. Right. So when they grow up, then they could smorgasbord a yeah. little bit, but give them some tradition rather than... Yes, uh, some some depth, you know. Well, Leah, uh, I presume, I don't really know, but I presume that you converted to Islam. I did, eight years ago. You want to, you have a, a story about how that came about? And uh, yes, I do. Uh, the, the, the Sufi order that I have been with for 35 years is based upon the unity of religious ideals. <clears throat> so we have people in our order that belong to, that are, are Christians, that are Jewish, that are Buddhists, that are Muslim, Hindus. Uh, it's not a requirement as in many Sufi orders are strictly Islamic. Uh, I happen to be a Muslim also, but it's not a requirement in our order. So, um. so small s Sufi, forgive my interruption, but if we think of the way the word can be used, there's sort of a small s Sufi that yes. honors the mystical traditions of of the world, and then a yes. capital S Sufi would be a mystic who is a devotee of Islam. Yeah, and, and I Muhammad. would say about, uh, usually that if you are a student of the Sufi way, you don't claim that you're a Sufi. That's like claiming a state of consciousness. So uh-huh. one studies the Sufi path. As opposed to saying, I'm a Buddha, I'm a Christ. Yes. <laughs> okay, good. So we aspire to that. We had a fellow, a religious science minister in here a couple of weeks ago, and he used a phrase that I loved, frankly, and I think we could probably say this about all the great prophets, those who gave birth to religions and those who have just left us other traditions and writings and such. And he, of course, was talking about Christ. And he said, well, we see Christ as the great example rather than the great exception. Mm-hmm. I really like that. What mm-hmm. about prophets? Let me go back to Joseph. Mm-hmm. What about these prophets? Who Are they saying the same thing or... Um, is it worth going to war over who's right and who's wrong? How exceptional are these individuals? Right. Um, well, I mean, I, I think uh, every tradition has had its its prophets. And uh, you've raised, Michael, an extremely interesting question, which I think I would like to sort of approach at, at two levels. Uh, one is that at a mystical level, a term that I think is grossly overused because genuine mystics are very few. I mean, it is a genuine experience, uh, which is relatively rare. And uh, because it's so powerful and because it has, you know, such seemingly uh, unitive effects, people want to sort of grab it as being the sort of latest game in town. Uh, but that's a, a terrible misuse of the of the word. The other level, I think, is the level that we were talking about earlier, namely the institutional historical level. I mean, the language that, let's say, someone speaks in the Sufi tradition is a language that is shaped by that culture and so on. And so I think, and one of the, I mean, this is very early in the game to make a plug for the parliament, but one of the things that we in the parliament are sort of trying to um, 
uh, put forward is to honor both the differences, which can't be simply washed away, and the underlying unities. So unity is not a given fact. Unity is something that one strives to achieve. And very often through our joint work in trying to understand each other, to listen to each other, etc., we then see that glimmerings of that of that unity. I often think of, you've used the word mysticism, mystery, as being in the center of spirit and matter, of God and man, of heaven and earth, or in the center of um, unity and diversity. Mm-hmm. I mean, isn't, it, isn't there a, a place of harmony between unity and diversity? Oh, yes, yes. But you see, I, I, I think the, the harmony must not be such that it sort of homogenizes everything, ah, you know, ah. uh, because that would be for someone to simply say that Walia was saying exactly the same thing as I, as a Catholic, am saying would be, I think, false to both traditions at some deep level. But that deep level we have to explore in dialogue. It's not, it's not obvious on the surface, you see, and I think uh, when we see something that uh, you were pointing out earlier, uh, religious misunderstandings, I think looked at philosophically, one has to expect that. You know, there are significant differences and our challenge is to not make those differences harden into oppositions and then into violence. Well, um, politically, there's been a serious and significant change in this society where politicians now seem on on the left and right, Republican and Democrat, and let me say the word again, politician, uh, to be clear about what we're talking about. They don't talk about partisan struggles to represent the citizenry. It's they want to represent their base. Mm-hmm. And I find this very distressing. And, and then I see this in religion often. Is it a fair spectrum or continuum? And I'll throw this open to all three of you to to talk about perhaps mysticism on one end of the continuum and fundamentalism on the other end. I mean, there are no Buddhist... Suicide bombers. No, there are in Sri Lanka. Buddhists yes, that blow themselves. I've heard of Buddhists who immolate themselves. Yeah. But, and yet the Hindus can be violent. Uh, so I suppose that there are fundamentalists among Hindus, and clearly between Christians. Yeah. And we have, I guess, the fundamentalists and the Jews. I'm not sure who that would be. The Zionists, perhaps. The ortho, the mm-hmm. most orthodox. Mm-hmm. So, number one, is that a fair continuum or spectrum? And um, can we overlay on that the idea where the mystic is sort of uh, honoring his or her personal path to the extent that they really honor others, whereas, or perhaps more allegorical or metaphorical Mm -hmm. in their understanding, whereas the fundamentalist, and I guess you probably all know where I'm headed with this thing, these are the people that often, I don't want to use too broad a brush, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but often seem to be the most exclusive and the most intolerant yeah. of the other traditions. Now, if you're going to come together and promote this parliament of world religions, obviously, 
you're going to have to address inclusive versus exclusive. And so let me just throw that open. Jeffrey, you want to begin to comment on that? One of the efforts we're trying to make in the parliament is to draw in some of the quote-unquote evangelical Protestants or the, uh, you know, we don't call them, we don't want to call them fundamentalists uh, except when we're en famille, you know, because that's such a pejorative term. But as a matter of fact, in our organizing committee for the event tomorrow, we have uh, an African-American woman who is belongs to a Pentecostal congregation, and she has somehow found her way to the reality of interfaith work without surrendering her own very personal and deep belief in Jesus Christ. And, and uh, so we need to try to convince uh, other Christians who are in that more what you call fundamentalist mode that they don't necessarily have to surrender what is uh, deepest and most precious to them if they get involved with people like us. I should think not, but... That often seems to be what's promulgated, what's promoted. Um, again, we see a fundamentalist Christian, dare I say, regime occupying the White House with a very exclusive view. George Bush says he talks to God. God told him, to, God tells him every day what to do. On the other side, the so-called enemy, the terrorists, represent just as intransigent a state. I mean, Wailea, let's speak to you. You must uh, you must encounter this kind of prejudice all the time if you identify yourself as a Muslim. There have got to be those people that say, oh, my oh. God, they don't know the difference between Wahhabi and Sufi. <laughs> yeah, indeed. Uh, what most people don't know uh, about Islam is that the things that are done... Uh, uh, in the name of Islam are not representative in these suicide bombings, the terrorist attacks. Those are all very strictly forbidden uh, in the Quran. Uh, and one of the things that people don't know about Islam is that in the Quran tells us, God says, I could have made you all one people, but I didn't, so that you may come together to know each other, and you are not to hold one prophet above another. So that is our teachings. But as in any tradition, not everybody lives the teachings. So uh, I always like to say to people, I want to show you another face of Islam. Mm. I, I doubt very much, Michael, that uh, George Books speaks to God because I doubt that God would give him such consistently bad advice. But he, <laughs> but he <laughs> insists that he does. And, you know, sometimes I think the fundamentalist Christian, and again, uh, it's hard to to talk like this without... It's very interesting, Michael, using to, compare, too broad a brush. to compare Bush with Lincoln, for example. When you look at Lincoln, another deeply religious person, all right, Lincoln consistently insisted that what was important in religious life was for us to try to be on God's side rather than for God to yeah. be on our side. Yeah. So I think the rhetoric itself tells its, tells its tale. Uh, so, I, 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 you know, again, to pull on Judeo-Christian tradition, one way of talking about this problem is, okay, it says to love thy neighbor as thyself. I guess we're asking how far down the block or how far around the world do we go before 
a human being is no longer your neighbor, I'd like to think that we are actually one people, mm-hmm. one planet, mm-hmm. and everybody's my neighbor, right. regardless right. of where they may happen to live. Right. Is that your understanding, sir, of uh, you're representing United Church of Christ, love your neighbor? Uh, does that include China and uh, Africa and Asia, or is it only people who agree with you? Well, not only does it include it, but it, I mean, it just goes without saying. It's kind of embarrassing that you would have to I know. ask I apologize. the, ask the question. <laughs> it is a show, after all. <laughs> Uh, but, but, I mean, let's face it. The, the, the Christian churches probably have, uh, the worst record of, uh, any of, uh, of the other, uh, of the great religions in terms of outbursts and outbreaks of, of fanaticism and intolerance and that sort of thing. Let me just say one more thing about that. The, uh, the fundamentalists they're not all bad. One thing that's good about them is that they are very passionate about what they believe. And in churches like mine, in the mainline Protestant churches, what you often have is a a watering down of the basic biblical message and an attempt by people to fit uh, the biblical message into their lifestyle and vice versa so that they're never challenged to really make radical changes in their life, which is which the Bible calls us to do, and sometimes the fundamentalists remind us that this is this is a very <laughs> this is a life or death thing. It's a radical thing. So I want to put in that good word for the fundamentalists. Yeah, well, but I, I, I don't understand that because the I don't understand. I mean, it may be it may be sort of pastorally true, but I I don't understand why. A more liberal understanding of religion is to be construed as a sort of watering down. I mean, the idea that r- religious truth may be complex and may be allegorical, or you know, to right. be, that you know, is the... is something that one can, you know, passionately live out. Isn't it more literal versus allegory, more universal versus personal than watered down or straight up? All I can tell you is that there are a lot of people in the churches of which I have been pastor who can no longer, uh, are no longer acquainted with the Bible at all. Yeah. And if you're not acquainted with the Bible, how can you possibly be a, a true witness? I was raised Catholic. I never saw a Bible. Well, that's they never, a, I didn't know there was a Catholic Bible till I was an adult. And they have their, I guess, a slightly different version. But of you the have Protestant more excuse movement. because you were a Catholic. Uh, we Thank Protestants you. don't have any Thank excuse you. for not knowing about it. Uh, let's, we, have, we have to take a break here, and then we're going to continue until 2 o'clock. And I want to reintroduce you. But what I'm going to do, because I want to, again, emphasize it's not too early, Joseph, to talk about the reason you're here, which is this attempt to organize, again, to reestablish a kind of a spiritual... Well, I don't want to say United Nations, but that's what comes to mind. Uh, a parliament, you're, you've got the term, I think, a world mm-hmm. parliament mm-hmm. of religions or a parliament of the world's great religious and philosophical experiences so that we can work on this harmony, so that we can honor that spiritually we are one ocean, one thing at work, that materially we are many and diverse, and and especially in America, to honor that 
diversity and that pluralism that makes us so rich, but that there's a middle position, mm-hmm. it seems to me, between the one and the many. There is this idea of harmony, which is the heart of things. Yeah. And ultimately, if somebody is serious about love, and I don't mean just emotional love, eros, or romance, or the way we love our kids, or the pets, but a quality of fearlessness, of, of again, of harmony, the idea of love being some kind of force that allows everything to be a part of everything else in some miraculous, holographic way that we can't barely even understand. Would that be enough? Is that one of your primary goals in the attempt to bring this parliament together? Are we all dancing around love? Anybody? Well, love is without question the, you know, the greatest force in the, in the world. I mean, there's, there's no question about that. I mean, all the religions in, in different ways, you know, are sort of variations on, on the message of, of love and compassion. Well, you but, say but, there's no question, sir, forgive me, but yeah. you and I know that, and Wailea and Jeffrey probably would agree, and the vast majority of our audience would agree, but we don't have uh, a department of love. We don't have a department of peace. We, rena- we renamed our department <laughs> yeah. of war, right. a department of defense, but it's still war. We still have nukes. We have nobody to drop them on anymore, but we still have nukes. So but, but that, do we really believe that yeah. that's the most powerful force in the universe? Well, yeah, I, I think it's a complex and a brilliant uh, question because it's a question of whether you can politicize and whether you should politicize religion. In other words, we need a sort of differentiated attitude to, to life. Love as a value, love as a force, should inform our political uh, operations. But to have a department of, of love at the state level ruled by Donald Rumsfeld, you know, I mean, uh, yes, I mean, you know, uh, as I say, it makes me uh, very, very nervous. I have yeah, to say. well, separation of church and state. But we don't even know what love is. I mean, Christians say love your enemy on yeah, Sunday, but right. Monday through Saturday, they just soon blow them up. Right. Right. So much for love your enemy. Yeah. In fact, friends of mine who, who go to um, church who are more traditional in their spiritual orientation, have said, you know, I asked the preacher, I asked the minister, the rabbi, the priest, about that turn the other cheek and walk the extra mile and love your enemies. And it seems that there's some debate in the Christian community about how literal we take that. Do you really love your enemy? Should love have been our response on 9-12? Anybody? Jeffrey? Yes, and that's what I meant a moment ago when I I, I, I talked about the watering down. I mean, there most people go to church and and don't don't get it don't don't get it. I mean, it's the Bible calls it a remnant. It's always a minority of people who really understand what God, who God is, and the, and the New Testament says that God is love. Right. You know that. And it's only a minority of people who ever understand what God requires of us, namely these these things that you're talking about. But uh, that minority can nevertheless change the world, and the world would be a heck of a lot worse place 
without them, without at least them. We can do shows on just this topic because I, I hear uh, Christians especially saying again and again, God loves you, Jesus loves you. I say, wait a minute, and in John it says God is love. Mm-hmm. I'm, I don't think that's the same thing. Mm-hmm. Because if God loves us, then God is not us, and we're not that. It's like an other. It's mm-hmm. sort of like... It's a uh, dualistic thing. Yeah. 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 And and I love the painting on the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel with God reaching out from some other place. But mm-hmm. come on, gang, isn't that sort of dangerous if God lives outside its creation way out? Well, but this separately? is one of the differences that Joseph was alluding to before. There are very deep differences between the traditions uh, in this regard. And I'm interested in what Walia would say about this question of uh, monism versus dualism. By all means. Well, my first thought is uh, that there is no reality but the only reality, which is a basic thought in Islam and certainly the Sufi teachings. So to me, there's there's only that place. The one thing. The one, yes. Yeah, the one mind, the one. Mm-hmm. The ancient Egyptians mm-hmm. talked mm-hmm. about the one thing, yeah. the one life. Yeah, yeah. So but, there's nothing outside. Yeah. I mean, what kind of God would God be if there was something that was not God? Yeah. And yet, I've had people say, well, God fights with the devil, or right. disease and illness yeah. is not of God. Yeah. So we're still confused, aren't we? Can this uh, parliament... Uh, how, <laughs> let me take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk more about your event tomorrow, because it's open to the public, right? right? Indeed, Absolutely. it is. All righty, and we want to get some support for this. Let's find out what your agenda is, because you're not going to solve all the world's problems tomorrow afternoon, I don't suppose. You're going to give it a shot. Though. All right, good. <laughs> <laughs> we'll find out. We're talking about a uh, an event tomorrow, the challenge of respect. I think that's a sweet, sweet title. Because if we truly loved each other, if we saw the dignity and respect that every single human being, I don't care what they've done, who they are, their lifestyle, if we could, if we could but see ourselves and other people and God in all things, I think that, uh, that those qualities of love, respect and dignity and tolerance and patience sure. and kindness right. and charity, right. these right. are all uh, qualities of the love we're talking about. Jeffrey Utter is with us. He's with the United Church of Christ in Long Beach. Also, Wailia Perkins, who is a Sufi, and um, Joseph Prabhu, who is a uh, uh, Doctor of Philosophy, and did you say Catholic? I'm also that... Catholic. Okay, yes. I didn't know if that was hypothetical. Or no, not. no, that's quite actual. A Catholic quite actual. and a philosopher. And a philosopher. Did you have to get a dispensation from the church to do that? Well, I'd like to remind you that the this present pope is also a philosopher. Ah, so, well, yes, good, right. okay. good. But from my point of view, Michael Joseph is a watered down Catholic. <laughs> oh, is he? Okay. okay. All right. Okay. okay. That's why I put Wiley between you two. <laughs> okay. Okay. We're talking about this event. We'll have more details. No wine. For you on the, the, <laughs> the goal is a parliament of religion so we can uh, survive for a few more centuries here and begin to work this out in a balanced way. Again, I don't think anybody wants a world where everybody agrees, but we're blowing each other up, causing enormous suffering. We can all do better, that's for sure. We'll take your telephone calls on the other side. Just to remind you, you're listening to the one and only KPFK in Los Angeles. 
And this is Intervision. So 2 o'clock this afternoon, we'll be right back. That's it on your very own radio, KPFK, 90.7 FM, all over Southern California. On the Santa Barbara County, KPFK is heard at 98.7 FM. And, of course, we stream for the world at kpfk.org. Wylea, tell us a little about uh, the event tomorrow. Oh, and let me give the phone number first for those who have questions. Uh, 818-985-5735, 985-KPFK. If your questions are brief and to the point, I'm sure we can get several in before the end of the program. But your event tomorrow. Yes, uh, <clears throat> registration begins at 9 o'clock, and we're expecting a lot of people to register on site, so we suggest people get there early at 9. Uh, our program begins at 10. Uh, it's look, well, the program is being held at the Omar Ibn al-Khattab Foundation, which is located at 1025 West Exposition Boulevard. The zip code is 90007 if you want to look it up on MapQuest. How about, a, do you have a map or, uh, I'm sorry, a uh, phone number yes, or a website? Can, yes, they can call 310-575-1972 if they have questions. And if you'd repeat that again? Yes, 310-575-1972. Okay. And any website that... Uh there's no information on a website right now about the event, but if people are interested in the Parliament, uh, the main headquarters for the Parliament is in Chicago, and uh, their uh, website is www.cpwr.org. Org. 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 Yeah. Yeah. So uh, what org. happened 110 years ago, 1893, whenever, I, I guess 80, that's 1893, right, yes. a little over 100 years ago, um, in Chicago, that this wonderful parliament happened. Vivekananda came in from India. Mm-hmm. Big stories. Suzuki came in a little later, yes. For the uh, yeah, Buddhist from, teacher, yes, D.T. Yes, right. Suzuki. Yeah. Actually, his teacher was, was oh, I see. Yes, not Suzuki himself. Oh, right. I see. Right. Okay. Uh, yeah. What happened to that whole idea? Anybody? Well, I mean, it was a, a remarkable event, uh, as you know, Michael, because it, it, it really, for the very first time, I mean, America up to that point, 1893, had been largely, if you want, a Christian nation and, you know, with a smattering of, of, of Jews and, and Muslims. But to open American airwaves and American classrooms to Vivekananda and Japanese Buddhists and Zoroastrians and so on was just an absolutely stunning event. And it was so stunning that it took another hundred years to get one going. (laughs) And so it was only in 1993 that the modern parliament met uh, in Chicago again. And out of that came a remarkable document that has now made its way all the way up to the United Nations called the Declaration Towards a Global Ethic, which was addressing precisely some of these questions of how do we achieve now, if you want, at an ethical level, the kind of harmony and the kind of unity that we were that we were talking about. It was a much debated topic, uh, you know, which, which engaged uh, a lot of people for quite a span of time. But it it was it's now available on the website that Walia mentioned. I mean, for people to 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 look at. Jeffrey, what uh, is your agenda for tomorrow, and also the longer term goal or goals? <clears throat> We just want to uh, build and deepen relationships between uh, different religious communities. Uh, We want to help people uh, 
see the presence of the divine, the presence of love, the presence of God uh, in those who are have a very, very different way of uh, understanding what's ultimate and of ritualizing their lives, of practicing their religion, and so on. Uh, we want to we want to um, help people appreciate otherness, and and this is where I go back to what you were saying about God and 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 the other. There's there's from my Christian point of view, there's nothing necessarily wrong with otherness. That's otherness is the presupposition of of relationship, and relationship is wonderful. We were created for relationship, but we just what we want to do is help people break out of their the shell that the religious shell that they've created for themselves and and uh, actually to have their own faith renewed and expanded by coming into contact with 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 people whose whose vision and whose practice is very different from their own I, again i i think this is part of the central conundrum of philosophy and mysticism is to break through this monarchism, if you will, of all others are opposites mm-hmm. and therefore exclusive. Mm-hmm. And so then we live in a you or me world when we could honor that diversity and live in a you and me world. And that's the feeling I'm getting. I from. and thou is is Martin Buber. Yeah. <laughs> and we should we should think about the the Hebrew uh message from the Hebrew scriptures of the Tower of Babel, when people tried to build just one tower leading to God, God himself sort of smashed that so as to have differences. In fact, differences are intrinsic to the very idea of unity. I think it's a false understanding of unity to see unity as in some sense being uh, you know, uh, at the polar end. Unity or works. homogenization. Yes, exactly. Right, unity right. works in and through differences. I mean, our unity here, where we respect each other's faiths, but nonetheless recognize that there is a deep respect and indeed a love. I, I don't think I'm exaggerating to say that, and I'm not misusing the word, I hope, has been come out of that dialogue and come out of that struggle. Um, and, uh, you know, it's something that is so, uh, you know, wonderful to, to, to experience. Um, Je- Jeff was mentioning, you know, this Pentecostal woman. And, and for yeah. me, to watch her, you know, over the last three months has really been remarkable because I've been able to see, I mean, almost viscerally, her sort of trying to break out of that shell that you were talking about. Uh, Isn't and there a burgeoning charismatic movement in Catholicism? Oh, yes, very much so. Very I mean, you interesting. Know, yes, absolutely. Interesting. In fact, uh, in Latin America, it's probably the most you know, uh, strong variant of Catholicism that is now being you know, sort of preached. Yeah. Uh, Wiley, how would you describe your agenda for tomorrow? Well, it's an opportunity to learn, but also to share. We've uh, built into our program a chance so everybody who comes will be in small groups and have a chance to uh, share their insights and their, their points of view. Uh, so this isn't going to be something where people are going to be just sitting and listening to long didactic talks. And uh, This is experiential and learning. We have over 20 uh, workshops. Uh, there are two breakout workshops in the day. So people will have a choice of uh, participating in these workshops. Uh, there will be a panel of speakers. There will be uh, moments where we stop and pray together. We all have sacred music time. Uh, so How are you going to all pray together? Silently? 
Uh, well, it's that's that's one of the challenges <laughs> is that you know is to figure out how we can come together uh, and pray so we don't offend someone, so yeah. we don't lose our own space. So that's we can't even agree on the name. Hmm. In oh, fact, well, we have many... a workshop on that called Naming the Ultimate. Well, I was yes. going to say, <laughs> right? aren't there many in philosophy who say it's wrong to even name the Most Divine? That's true. I mean, the apophatic tradition says, yeah. yes, it's it's a complete mystery. And, and uh, you know, so, and, and in Hinduism, the Upanishad says, neti neti, not this, not yeah, that. Yeah. Uh, I think your Kabbalist was yes. the one about whom not may be said. That's right. Right. Uh, because so, you put a name on something, now it has a beginning and an end. Yes, but we are human beings, Michael, and ah, we, we need some form. There's you know. the rub. Yes, that's the, <laughs> there's the rub, exactly. So, And we are also human beings shaped by our cultures. I just yeah. don't know why we aren't more fascinated in each other. As I mean, First of all, we have fingerprint evidence and DNA proof of our authentic individuality. Everybody wants to know other people. Few people seem interested in their personal uniqueness. All right. And then we have these great religious traditions. And I, I don't know. I mean, why is there something wrong with me if I'm raised as a Catholic and uh, I start reading uh, Buddhist sutras and I come alive? Do I love Jesus less? Do I, uh, do I now... Uh, I mean, there's some evidence that the last years Christ was in Hindustan right. studying Buddhism. Oh. And, and why not? Right. Why not? What are yeah. we afraid of here? Right. That, and, and I understand, Jeffrey, what you were saying about children. I think that's a good point, well taken. But as adults, why can't I, as, as Gandhi says in, yeah. in that movie, well, I'm a Jewish, mm-hmm. Christian, mm-hmm. Buddhist, yeah. Hindu, right. uh, Taoist, uh, shaman, right. and on and on and on. Can I uh, say that I think, why, why can't we? I think the reason is fear. You said, what are we afraid of? Basically, people are afraid. They're afraid of that which they uh, do not understand. They're, they already... Most people have a very difficult time managing their lives, even in in the small container they live in. And then when you ask them to look beyond that container to radically different lifestyles and beliefs, it's too scary for a lot of them. Yet facing fear, what better reason to have a spiritual, you know, well, system to to you know. And you quoted John before. Another thing that it says in John is there is no fear in love. That's right. Yeah, Perfect love casts that out. That may be fear. the only mutual exclusive <laughs> right, right. concept. Sure. Right. Like God always says yes, except to the question, please stop saying yes. Okay. Um, we're having a good time, and we're talking about religion in the most harmonious of ways here. And this is about publicizing an event tomorrow. Uh, this is part of a process of creating or reestablishing a parliament of the world's great religious, uh, spiritual, philosophical traditions. Pretty good idea. I don't know. What do you think? Could it work? Let's, uh, let's see what some of our listeners have to say. You guys should each have a set of headphones. Yes, that okay. You can grab, just yeah. Yeah. Okay. either wear or hold to one ear. And yeah. Let's take some telephone calls here. We'll start in Burbank with Shelby. Uh, you're on KPFK on Intervision. Hi, Shelby. Hi, thank you for your time and fascinating show, and I wish I could be there tomorrow. My uh, faith calls me to be ecumenical, and I think that's the key to our future existence. 
I would like to ask the panel if anybody could weigh in on resurrection, if I could just hear that answer off the air. I appreciate your time. Shelby, thank you. How about three hits on what that word means, starting, Jeff, with you? I believe in the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. Physical, physical body. Not physical, bodily. Now, there's a whole theological discussion, the difference between physical and, and bodily, and I'd be glad to talk with you further about that, Shelby. <laughs> <laughs> so, we used to talk in the last century about etheric bodies, energy bodies, yeah. and such. Well, just goes to show you how, how, how complex the issue is, but if you, if you want me church. to say in one word, do I believe that Jesus rose from the dead? Absolutely, yes. Okay. Redemption, Wiley. What does that mean to you or in your best understanding? Resurrection. I'm sorry. Resurrection. 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 That's different than redemption. Well, I'm going to take it in a different direction. Uh, in Sufi practice, we uh, have a retreat process that we undergo. And the first stage of that, it's like an, a chemical process where we dissolve a coagulate. So we have to let go of, uh, we work with what we call NAFS, N-A-F-S, our limited self, small ego self. And so we work in <clears throat> letting go of that. And then a resurrection would be coming, uh, awakening into a, a higher awareness of, of self. Mm. That's an interesting, there's some interesting uh, alchemical reference. Yes, yeah, so the, the process is based, it's an alchemical mm-hmm. process. Yeah, dissolving yeah. a coagulate. Right, right. Yeah. right. And Joseph. Uh, well, I mean, uh, here's uh, the parliament already in uh, praxis yeah. right here, because I resonate very much as a Catholic to uh, what Valia was just saying. I mean, I think that resurrection has to be a internalized. In other words, for me, resurrection is the daily wonder of, of life where one leaves behind what is dead, what is otios, uh, and or in Valia's phrase, the sort of small self, the petty self, and opens oneself up to, you know, the, the, the wonders of creation, the wonders of life. So that, for me, is resurrection. Certainly there's been some sort of fall, because if we're in the image of the most divine, we've forgotten or lost touch with it, most yeah. of us, most of the time. Right. Even those of us that try and try and try, mm-hmm. we get seduced by something, right? some temptation, right. some yeah. whatever. Right. And we get... Uh, confused, so there has to be some sort of uplifting, if you will. Let's go to Long Beach, and uh, Jim, you're on KPFK on Intervision with my guests. We just have a minute here, Jim, so. Okay, well, just real briefly, I just, I'm just wondering what your panel thinks. What is it in us that allows us, if we truly believe in an all-inclusiveness, and all-loving God, um, to turn our religious beliefs to isolating and judging other people, it should seem to me that at the very second that I realize that I'm doing that, I'm stepping away from what I say I believe in. And what is it about us that allows us to have this dichotomy in ourselves where we can say we believe this, but our actions do something completely Very good. Different? Jim, thanks. Uh, listen on the radio for that response. And again, we'll let's go in the same order. Jeff, you want to say <clears throat> Jim, it's a three-letter word. S-I-N. Sin, where we have sin in us, and that means that we're uh, continually taking what's good in us, God's gifts, good gifts which 
she is giving to us constantly and 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 spoiling them in turn in trying to use them for our own ego aggrandizement. Forgive That's, me, I have to cut you off while we're solving the biggest issues of philosophy and religion. While Leah, what do you think separates us from our source? Well, I think. In Sufism, we talk about remembrance, the zikr keeping the, the name of God on our breath at all time. <clears throat> and we forget this, <clears throat> excuse me, we forget to do this, so we are engaged in the constant practice to re- remember God on our breath. Joseph? Yes, I, there again, I resonate with the Sufi message. Maybe I'm a, I'm a closet Sufi, because uh, for me, uh, what makes us do this is forgetfulness, what the Hindu tradition calls avidya. I wish we had more time. Wali, again, the information about tomorrow. How can folks join you tomorrow morning? Uh, it's only $36, which is we've made it affordable so everyone can join us and includes lunch and dinner. Uh, it begins registration at 9 o'clock. Our program begins at 10. It ends at 8.30 p.m. Uh, we have uh, many, many wonderful people involved in interfaith work in Greater Los Angeles. Almost family. out of time. How can people, why don't you give me that 310 phone number? Yes, 310-575-1972. And if it's busy, call back, because this is tomorrow morning we're talking That's about. That's right. That's it. Give yep. that number one more time. while 310-575-1972. Thank you so much, Walia Perkins and Joseph Prabhu and Jeff Utter. I appreciate all of you being here and your work in this area. Best of luck to you, and let's do it again sometime. Okay, okay? all right. Thank Peace you very blessings. much, Michael. Thank you. Yes, Peace indeed. and blessings to all of you. And thanks again to D'Angelo, my engineer as always, to Brooks, my producer, my wife Doreen for all her efforts, my web people, Kurt and Craig and Roy. You can find my website through kpfk.org or theagelesswisdom.com. As always, be gentle, love life, and take care of each other. This is Michael Miller. You've been listening to Inner Vision on Grassroots Radio, powered by the people, KPFK.